Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. By now, you've probably seen campaign ads and signage from the 12 candidates who are vying to be the next mayor of our city. 12 people is a lot, but to put it in perspective, the city of Toronto, Canada has 100 people running for mayor. While our race isn't quite that packed, there are still a lot of issues that Nashvillians are deeply concerned about. And that's where you come in. Today, we're bringing you a special Citizens Nashville about the community panel to discuss the city's most pressing concerns and what it needs in a new leader. But first, two lawsuits have been filed in the state over the fairgrounds free speedway. One by the Metro Legal Office, the other by three Metro Council members. The target of both lawsuits, a law that makes it easier to make renovations at the speedway by requiring fewer votes for approval from the Metro Council. Here to explain what the lawsuits are about and the potential implications is Stephen Elliott, interim editor for the Nashville Post, who has been following the story. Stephen, great to see you again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So there's two different lawsuits aimed at this new state law concerning the Speedway. Can you start by explaining what this new law does? Uh, Basically, it aims to tweak um, changes to the Metro Charter, basically the constitution of our city. Um, A a provision was passed by voters overwhelmingly uh, a little more than a decade ago um, that said uh, if you want to make changes to the fairgrounds, you need a super, uh, basically a super majority of the Metro Council to do so because we want to protect these historic uses at the fairgrounds. Um, there were some ideas at the time of maybe tearing the track down or tearing the, the, the barns where the flea market um, operated, tearing that down and, and making a, a commercial project there. So the citizens got together, they voted, they said, we don't want that. Or if you do do that, we need to really think about it and talk about it. So the state this year said, eh, we don't like that so much. We're going to lower it down to just a simple majority to do demolition at, at the fairgrounds. Um, so it seems like it's in conflict with those people who um, wanted to preserve the racetrack. But in reality, the, the goal is to help spur along renovations at the racetrack that could bring NASCAR and other things back. So the state is pushing for potential renovations to bring NASCAR back into the city. So, you know, as we mentioned, there's two lawsuits. One was filed by Metro Legal. What's their complaint? The complaints are basically the same. It's just a matter of who has standing to file the lawsuit. Um, The defendants, the state, they'll use any lever they can in court to get a case either thrown out or weakened. Um, So I guess there's some question of whether it's Metro itself, the city, or these council members who will be voting on this um, that have the standing to sue. So they filed the the suits kind of uh, not really together, but they basically say much of the same things, which is that the state is not allowed to pass laws that directly affect one city. I mean, they can in some cases, but part of the state constitution protects local governments from targeted legislation from the state. Mm. What's Mayor Cooper's position on this law? Uh, On the state law, uh, well, you know, Metro Legal 
is a department of Metro. He's the boss of Metro. So it, it was a little bit surprising when Metro Legal filed the suit because the mayor wants this to pass and suing over this law and being successful in restoring the 27 vote threshold would make it harder for the mayor to achieve his goal of uh, passing these renovations. So, you know, um, he hasn't said he opposes the lawsuit as far as I'm aware. He hasn't necessarily said he supports it, but it was done by a department of Metro. So from what I understand, he's a big fan of NASCAR, right? <laughs> You know, I, I I don't know. I've never seen him at a race, but then again, I'm not a huge fan myself. Uh, I've watched a little on TV, but no, I, I don't know that, you know, when he ran and in, in four years ago that he was talking about NASCAR a lot. Now, this is this lawsuit is to protect the metro government from state interference, essentially. How has the state responded to this? Um, so far, it's it's been pretty limited. And, and one thing that I think... Um, will be interesting. Uh, they'll defend the law. I mean, the, the, the state, the state's lawyers will defend it and they'll, um, and try to turn away this lawsuit. But, uh, it, and I'm not sure that this case is as much of a priority to them as some of the more high profile ones that we've seen related to the Metro council size or related to the, the drag ban that we saw over the weekend, um, that they're probably going to be appealing on that one. So yeah, I'm sure they'll work on it, but, uh, but I'm not, sure it's as much of a priority. You know, we've talked about the Speedway on This Is Nashville, and you mentioned a decade ago the referendum that passed. It was also to ensure that they will always be racing at the Speedway. Does this new law interfere with that? Um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think um, the supporters of the racetrack renovations would say the only way to ensure that racing continues as the charter says it should is by renovating and, and modernizing and attracting these big moneymaker races like NASCAR that that track hasn't been able to host for many years. Um, the only way for that track to survive financially and for racing to continue in any real way that these people think is a legitimate form would be to do the renovations. So in that sense, it might help racing continue. Now, what challenges would renovations to the Speedway bring to the city? Well, the races that go on there now, they're, they're, they cause traffic, they cause noise. I think if you talk to people who live in that immediate area, they'll tell you about the noise. But that track's been there for 100 years or so, so there's always been uh, some element of that. I think bringing NASCAR, that's just several rungs above the races, for the most part, that have been hosted there for the past few decades uh, in terms of crowds, in terms of support personnel and infrastructure that will be needed. Um, I think... Uh, that would be the most immediate effect is um, it's just sort of on those weekends when NASCAR is hosted, how how big of a disruption it is for that area. What's the timeline for these lawsuits? And and give me your sense of why that's important. Uh, yeah. So with the, the Metro Council lawsuit from a few months ago, there was a, a, a deadline basically for the court and for the parties where this had to be decided really quickly because there was an election coming up and we had to know who, how many people we were voting for and what districts they would be in. This one, there's not really a deadline like that, um, so I'm not sure that the lawsuit will proceed as quickly. Um, and uh, with that said, the mayor's term is up in a few months. He's He's been the one who's been pushing this. There's sort of not a ton of support that I've seen on council. There's some support, but the district council member, for, for instance, who represents that area doesn't support it. 
Um, he's he's one of the people suing over the law. Um, and they the council can't vote on this financing plan that the mayor has proposed until after they get done with the budget. So by the time they get done with the budget, we're going to be in the heat of our election season. Mm-hmm. The mayor's term is going to be very quickly running out. And I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of appetite to rapidly pass something like this, especially after they already passed a, the even larger deal with the Titans. What are you keeping an eye out for as this story develops? And also, let me ask you, do you th- see this potentially becoming a campaign issue for the mayoral election? Yeah, I'm glad you have the the panel coming up next because it hasn't really been a big issue in the mayor's race yet. But I do think that if we get to late July, that race is heating up. People are early voting um, and this plan is before council. I think it will be a wedge issue for sure. And um, at that late season in a campaign, uh, people can say <laughs> we'll get a lot more uh, strong opinions as they try to distance themselves from the other candidates. So, yeah, I think if we get to July and they're considering this on the Metro Council, it'll definitely become a big thing in the mayor's race. Stephen Elliott is interim editor of the Nashville Post. You can find the link to his story on this episode's web post at thisisnashville.org. Stephen, thanks for being here and thank you for your reporting. Yep, see you around. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite a community panel to talk about what Nashvillians want from our next mayor. There's still time to get your questions in, so tweet us at thisisnashville. We'll be right back. Colona, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about the race to be Nashville's next mayor. At the present moment, there are 12 candidates in the running to be elected mayor in August. And you've seen ads on television. Maybe you've received campaign literature in the mail. Perhaps you caught one of the many mayoral forums that are happening across Davidson County. This is not one of them. Today, we're bringing space for you. What do you want from our next mayor? We've invited members of the community to dive into that very question. What are your community's most pressing needs? Tweet us at This Is Nashville or email us at thisisnashville at wpln.org. I'd like to introduce my guests. Rondrikas White is a Nashville native and organizer, and Landy Spratt from Hermitage works with the Latino community here in Nashville. Rondrikas, Landy, thank you for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, one of the themes we've heard time and time again from listeners is the question of who is Nashville for? Is it for the people who've lived here and make and, and help make the city what it is? Or is it for people who can afford how expensive it has become to live here? You know, I'd like to hear from both of you and starting with that. Ron, start with that. How do you who do you think Nashville is for? Uh, right now, Nashville is for the tourists and developers, or at least it's very rapidly becoming that way. Um, there was a time not too long ago where, you know, you could be you could come from a working class family and, you know, 
grow up, go to school, save some money, buy you a decent house here in the city. Um, I've watched as I graduated from White Street High School in 2008. I've watched as people from my graduating class have been forced to live outside the city, right? We're talking about generations of Nashvilleians, and suddenly between 2008 and now, they're just leaving in mass drove. They don't. They want to live in Nashville. They simply can't afford it. Landy, tell me, who do you think Nashville is for? I think Nashville is is for all of us, and I definitely hear it, what you're saying about, you know, it's only for the wealthy. And I'm coming from the Latino perspective, where we feel like we belong here, and it should be for the Latino community as well. It should be for all of us. You know, I understand you're originally from California, right? That's correct. When thinking about livability, how was how was that different from what you have out in the Hermitage? It's definitely Hermitage is, is changing. I think Nashville, of course, is changing, and I feel like Hermitage is still kind of stuck in maybe the past, where we really need the city to change and grow with with the community. We need sidewalks. We need a larger community center. What what do you want to hear from the candidates about what they would do to kind of solve that? I want, first of all, the candidates to actually live within city center, right? I want them, I want their kids to go to MNPS schools. I want them to shop at our grocery stores. I want them to see the everyday struggles that we have. I want them to be stuck in traffic uh, like we are. Uh, and I want them to see that first so that they could relate to all of us on that level. Now, Ron, you said the people you knew and grew up with are no no longer can afford to live here. Yeah. Where are they going? Uh, they're going to either right outside the, or, well, let me explain. One, I'm from Nashville proper, right? So either they're moving into like Antioch as like a last resort to stay in the county, or they're moving into Laverne, Smyrna, Murfreesboro, or going to Clarksville, um, some of them are just leaving Middle Tennessee altogether and heading elsewhere. Now, you know, part of livability is having an effective and efficient transportation. Absolutely. And that's another theme that we've heard a lot about. Tell me, Ron, what are you hearing in your community when it comes to transportation issues in the city? Uh, we need public transportation, like true investment in the infrastructure of our city. Um, 10, 15 years ago, it was nothing to get from point A to point B. We were a 15, 20-minute city, right? Now, I live out east. If I want to get downtown, depending on the time of day, it may actually take me 15 minutes, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, if we can just find a way to uh, invest in our infrastructure, make sure that our buses are running at a larger, at a better rate, right? More often, more bus uh, routes themselves instead of continuously cutting off uh, services. And also, it's time to get into rail. I mean, look at other major countries across this, uh, look at other places, major cities in other countries. You know, a lot of them have rail or tram or some form of electric transportation. Um, and we we don't have that. We're years behind. We had the opportunity. It turned down. And I remember a certain council person telling me 
because I was I hadn't decided if I was going to vote for the. You're uh, talking about the referendum, transportation yeah. referendum of 2018. Yeah, I hadn't decided if I was going to vote for it or not. And after talking to one of the council people, they told me if we don't do this now in five years, it will be too late. And mm-hmm. here we are, five years later. And yeah, it's starting to look that way. So, do you know people who can't afford to live here yet they have to commute to the city? For work, I mean, and if you do know folks, tell me how that lack of efficient transportation is really affecting their lives. I don't necessarily know anybody like that. And it's because either if they move outside the city and they don't have like access to public transportation, they're just going to start working out there. Right. I mean, like you say, it once again goes into that issue of affordability uh, for housing. It just shows how they're connected to each other. If. Like right now, I don't have a vehicle. I, I had one. I let the wrong person work on it. Got messed up. Whatever. That right? happens. Yeah. Luckily, I work from home and I live right off Shelby. So if I need to Uber somewhere, it's no more than $10, $11. What, right? about, what about taking the bus? The Once again, the transportation system is, I mean, I live a five to 10 minute drive from here. If I would have took the bus, it probably would have taken me over an hour and a half, like over an hour maybe just to get here. So like it's, yeah, it just doesn't work. It's not efficient for people's time. Now, now, Landy, I hear from friends and family all over the country about the rising costs of living. So, you know, Nashville isn't not, not, it's not necessarily unique in having, you know, its residents under economic pressure. But what do you want to hear from mayoral candidates about how they would tackle that problem? Yeah, definitely. I want to touch a little bit about what Ron mentioned with the public transportation. I serve the Latino community, and we definitely need support with public transportation. A lot of our community doesn't have a driver's license. Uh, there is no current law that will allow us to obtain a driver's license. So we are forced to use whatever little public transportation that there currently is. So definitely it's something that we need the mayor to f- focus on. And, and that's how they can serve us. We, we came to this country to, to work and to thrive. And we can't do that with this current infrastructure. The, that you said it's something that the mayor can work on. What about, I mean, I know we're talking, this episode is talking about mayors, but also city council representatives. There's an election for them too. It's true. Uh, but from currently, I mean, we're, we're trying to, we only have one Latina that is currently serving on council and they're trying to shrink council, and we need representation. What have you heard from people in your community about some of their needs when it comes to affordability, rising costs of living, and livability in their communities? One of the biggest things is having support for those that are currently renting homes. There's a lot of the times where we don't have even the courage to call the police if we're evicted unfairly, where they'll say, hey, we'll call ICE if you report the fact that we're not going to give you the deposit back uh, for, for your rental, where this home isn't really livable, but you're going to deal with it because we're going to call ICE. We need a mayor that will stand with the Latino and immigrant community. I was lucky enough to be part of yesterday's Immigrant and Refugee Forum um, at Plaza Mariachi. And one of the questions that was asked was, how much are you willing to put into your budget to support with legal counsel 
for these immigrant and refugees that are coming. And there was a candidate that said, oh, I, I, I can't promise a dollar amount. I mm. might not even be able to do that. Mm. And so we need someone that will stand with us. But you're talking about people in your community being extorted Correct. for having a place to live. Correct. It's something as basic as just a roof over our head. It's something as basic as being able to drive to work. Now, Ron, I see you nodding your head in agreement. Have you run into situations like that with the people you help out? Uh, no, not necessarily, but it's very much a common occurrence. Uh, in my years of organizing, I've heard stories like this all the time. Uh, you know, people dealing with wage theft and just not being able, from wage theft to, you know, housing issues we saw with uh off Dickinson Pike, the trailer park on Dickinson Pike last year, we saw it in River Chase. I mean, it's just a common theme between uh, both of our communities, honestly. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Kali Olekolona. We're talking this hour about what the community wants to hear from the mayoral candidates as we get closer to Election Day on August 3rd. Tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville, and don't forget the last day to register to vote is July 5th. So. Go out there and get on it. Now, since the magic trash, the tragic mass shooting at Covenant School in March, the subject of gun violence and what to do about it has been front and center. Landy, what are your biggest concerns? I actually work inside MNPS schools, and I hear from Latino parents, and they said, we left our home countries running from violence, and we come to this country and we send our kids to school here at MMPS schools. And there is no law right now that protects our kids. And, and that's really difficult to look at a parent and say, I'm really sorry that we haven't set the laws in place to protect your children in these schools. And I'm sorry that you're leaving this war-torn country and coming to another country that is facing gun violence. Do you have kids? I don't have kids yet. I have two dogs, but uh, mm-hmm. I, being in those schools, I have other colleagues that also serve uh, in different high schools and hearing about the fact that maybe the schools aren't equipped to deal with the most tragic event, that scares me. I, I feel like the state needs to look at the law and, and the mayor needs to be somebody that can stand up to local bullies and state bullies that want to keep things as it's always been and and not not fight for change. We need somebody that, that can fight bullies. Now, Ron, increasing community safety and quelling gun violence are issues of that often circle around policing efforts. What approach do you want to see candidates take to address those issues? Uh, well... When we talk about gun violence and safety, we always, or more often than not, come back to increasing policing budgets. But as we've seen throughout decades, right, we've continued to expand police budgets and nothing really changes. We have to change what safety means, or at least change the conversation around what safety is, right? Uh, We look at gun violence, uh, especially in, let's say, minority communities. A lot of it is really economic-based, right? You have poor people fighting over very few resources. Um, Public safety, to me, means making sure that people have the resources to live their lives in a manner that brings them dignity. Uh, If I am labeled a felon and I don't have the ability to 
get a decent job in Nashville that's going to pay for the $1,500 one-bedroom, right, uh, I may have to take some extreme means. But we need to start creating a society that's going to actually invest in the needs of people, right, finding out what leads people to gun violence and then addressing it there, not just waiting for the violence to happen and then saying, oh, we need to do something about it. And you mentioned that, you know, these conversations often deal with increasing police numbers, increasing police budgets. But I want to know, what does an outside approach, an approach outside of policing, why is that important to you, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's very much important to me. Because like I said, uh, there's problems. Before we get to the crime, there's something that happened before that that led up to it, right? And we can often look and see that it's more than likely, uh, in these situations, the same thing. Uh, people from poor backgrounds, people from places with lower resources, people just going, maybe it's mental health, et cetera. Um, and you just you cannot continue to lock up people and that's going to solve the problem. Right. The jails are flooded uh, as they are right now. Uh, so, yeah, an outside approach for me, once again, just investing your resources, making sure that we're putting money into education, job training. Uh, you have people who are out here who haven't been to school, graduated 30, 40 years ago. And 10, 15 years ago in Nashville, they were all right. But now because the, you know, rise in property taxes or, you know, just the cost of living, they're now behind. Finding a way to invest in these people and making sure that they get the education that they need so that they can advance. Uh, it's just we need a people first approach instead of a prisons first approach. I, I hear you. I see you nodding your head. Lady. Yeah, Ron has a, I mean. Ron, you're amazing at this, but the thing that came to mind was the police officers, having the police officers look like the community that they're serving, right? Having more Latino police officers, having more black police officers on the streets. Um, one thing that comes to mind is my husband actually works at the local hospital, and I'd love to see more Latino uh, health providers and, and black health providers where when you're coming in and you're sick, your child is sick, you you don't know the language, right? Having that language justice inside the hospitals mm. and all over through the city, right? Where you know that you're going to speak to a, a doctor that speaks your language, right? Instead of us losing healthcare providers because of the changing laws with women's health reproductive health, right? We're, that's something that, that we touched on yesterday at the mayoral, mayoral forum. It seems like you're, you're talking about resources for right. everyone, but in, specifically in this case, immigrant families. So how would you like to see those resources increase for immigrant, for immigrant families across Nashville? Right. So definitely having um, the support of having more Latino doctors, right? Having that come in, um, Definitely public transportation, uh, but the city has Latino-owned businesses, right, that I believe should be showcased by the mayor, right? The city isn't just fancy bars downtown or these huge hotels downtown. No, the, the community, the culture, the real changing culture of Nashville, it's Black and Latino-owned communities, right? These businesses, these restaurants, how about we showcase that and show, you know, the tourists what the new Nashville is? I want to hear from both of you on about the need for the next mayor to be present 
in the communities around town. Ron, how do you want the next mayor to interact with the community? Uh, as you said, to be there, to show up. Uh, you know, not just being a mayor who shows up when there's a new development in the city, but uh, when there's something major, whether it be, you know, someone got killed. Uh, I've seen pe- mayors in other cities who stop everything when they find out there's a there's been a, a big murder in the city. Hey, let's go find out what's going on. Whether that be uh, just coming out and hooping with the kids or knocking on doors, right, every now and then, talking to the community, seeing what's actually going on. Uh, I'm not going to talk about every mayor, but we have had some mayors uh, who are behind the desk all day, right? And in order to interact with that mayor, you have to come to them. They won't come to you. I need mayors who understand that their job is to serve the city and serve the people. Um, And you can only serve the people by actually being with the people talking to the people and understanding the needs of the people. What would be the benefits of that? How do you think the community would respond to a mayor that gets out there and is amongst the people while they're doing the job, not just asking them to put them in place to have the job? I think there's a level of trust that you develop, right? And most importantly, accountability. Because if you're coming to me and I see you in the neighborhood, then you have to move differently, right? Because you, you have to quote unquote, come home. That's something I've always learned as an organizer is that whatever I do in the streets or wherever I go, I always have to come home at some point, right? And be amongst the people. So even if you are the mayor for the next four years or eight years, at some point your term ends and you have to come back home and be held accountable for the things you've done. Uh, And so I think having a mayor who's out there helps with that. Landy, can you briefly describe for me your ideal candidate? My ideal candidate would be bilingual. Uh, I know it it sounds almost like a pipe dream, right? What do you mean having the mayor speak Spanish? I think Spanish is the largely spoken language besides English. And I feel like in order to connect with people, to connect with the Latino community, you should speak their language. I feel like that should be one of the top job requirements. How are you going to serve a huge sector of the community if you can't even speak their language, right? Um, I don't think it's too much to ask, and I would love to see that be a requirement of every single candidate. What type of presence do you want that the next mayor to have in the city? I want them to, just like Ron, to be in the community, to be there at the community centers, not just to for show, not just for a photo op. You see that a lot right now in, in their race for mayor. They want the photo ops. They want to be pictured with the community. I want them to go to to the schools too, to go into the schools to see, you know, the safety. Do they actually feel safe in that school? And if they don't feel safe in that school, would they want those kids, local kids, to attend that school? Mm. Ron, who's your ideal? Not who's your ideal candidate. Give me an idea of what your ideal candidate looks like. Uh, my ideal candidate looks like someone who uh, has relationships with different community groups, who has, you know, once again has that ease of access and the ability to hold them accountable. Um, it's someone who has leadership, and by leadership I mean leadership means that sometimes you're going to have to do the thing that isn't the most popular, but you know for a fact will help the most people in the long run, right? That could be we're going to have different public transportation, right? Everyone might not use it, but the less people who are, or the more people who are using it, the less people who are on the roads, right? It could be... Uh, 
doing something with affordable housing and, and going ahead and building the housing ourselves. I just want something, somebody who is going to do the hard work, be a leader, and really help the working class people of our city, the poor and working class people of our city. I want to thank my guests, Rondrikas White from East Nashville and Landy Spratt from Hermitage. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more from community members about what they want from our city's next mayor. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. And this is Citizen Nashville. On August 3rd, the people of Nashville will be voting on who will be our next mayor. In a city that's growing and changing right before our eyes, what issues are important to you and your community? How do you want the changes, the candidates, pardon me, to address them? Today, we're bringing you a Citizen Nashville episode exploring what you want in the city's next leader. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Denise Bayhill is a climate activist and mom from Forest Hills, and Maxine Spencer is a community organizer and trans rights advocate from Nashville. Maxine, Denise, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Okay, so Maxine, you know, we talked in the previous segment about affordable housing, and it's the issue Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are concerned about right now. What are your biggest concerns? My biggest concern, I think, is the same as everyone else, and it's the price of rent going up. And while all we have all these new developments being built in the city. I mean, I think I think one reason why people are so upset by the Titans deal, if you actually are in tune with the people, is because you have this whole other stadium that's going to be built with public dollars, um, and it's going to drive up the price of rent in the entire city. Um, once you start making such a major development like that, there's no other outcome other than it's going to drive more people out. And then we have city leaders saying that, oh, we want to, you know, this is the best place to live. You know, this is one of the greatest cities ever. Meanwhile, the people that are, whose labor are making the city what it is, are being forced out and being forced out on a continuous basis year after year because people can't afford to live in the city. Something any listener knows, I always say that the rent is too damn high Mm -hmm. on the show. I'm going to bring this question back that we asked our panelists in the previous segment. So who do you think Nashville is for? Well, I I would say I would like Nashville to be for the people that live here, for the communities that have grown here, that have moved here, that want to call this place truly home. That's what I want to say. But what I think Nashville, who Nashville is for, is for the rich. Nashville is for folks that want to have a southern playground. You know, that want to have a southern playground right here in the middle of Tennessee. And that's who Nashville is for. You can see it in the way we prioritize different events. Thank you. Again, all the constant talk. I feel like we hear about tourism, you know, the Taylor Swift concert. This was the city was flooded with people. We had all these events always, you know, you couldn't. You could you could you could just look everywhere and see something else going on. We're just a bustling, vibrant city. And yet at the same time, all the people who live here, who live in this area, that are doing the work to make that happen, are scrounging and fighting just to stay alive. Hmm. So this is just a playground for the rich. Denise, 
I like to, how do you, how do you respond to Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And I think all you have to do is look at the real estate prices to confirm that. (laughs) Mm. Now you're a climate activist. Tell me, what does that, how does that correlate? And what does that have to do with affordable housing here in the city? Yeah. So, I mean, um, where you live in the city determines what kind of acts or what kind of exposure you're going to have to things like pollution. There are um, higher rates of asthma among folks who live closer to factories, landfills, you know, things like that. And there is also a high correlation with um, those uh, health impacts and your race and income level, but especially with race. And so um, having affordable housing, not in just one area of town, but in all areas of town does a couple of things that would one sort of neutralize Um, you know, right now, the people who have the biggest voice and the most power and have already said for many decades, they don't want those things in their neighborhood. Well, bringing folks and allowing folks to live in all neighborhoods and make sure that we have affordable housing in all neighborhoods would be an opportunity to neutralize that. Um, Additionally, um, it gives access to, to other things that come along with just the benefits of neighborhoods like sidewalks and jobs and transportation and all of those things. Sidewalks is an issue that we continue to see here on This Is Nashville. Now, Maxine, we got a message from a listener whose biggest question for the candidate is, quote, did you vote for the Titan Stadium deal? Now, Maxine, you mentioned this earlier. What are you hearing from people about how important that is in choosing who they vote for? From what I'm hearing, I'm hearing that that has that, that is very significant of a choice. And I think it's one of the defining moments for for any of the mayoral candidates to say whether for those that had the opportunity to vote, if you said yes or no. I think a lot of people are making some primary decisions based on that vote in particular because so many people stood in opposition to it. So how do you have all these people come into this room, stand and wait to give public comment for so long, hours and hours, and then vote yes. Hmm. We have we we have had all these conversations, all these events, all so many community orgs have come out against it and you still vote yes. You can't say that the people wanted that when people are clearly telling you no. Now, you know, people who live here in Middle Tennessee, we understand that we get some pretty extreme weather from mm-hmm. time to time. The storms are nothing soft usually. Is that a, that's an increasing concern for a lot of people is climate change. Denise, tell me, what concerns do you have about the city's approach to climate change? Um, I think that, you know, right now there's a lot of focus on um, green buildings and reducing energy usage and planting trees. And those things are all good. But until we... Um, act as people who care about each other as a community, we are never going to overcome the issues that are facing us with climate change because that's what is at the core of it is that we lack a sense of understanding of who our neighbors are, the human neighbors and also the non-human neighbors, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. the trees and the microorganisms and all of those things. Um, Until we truly act as neighbors with the people and other neighbors that we have in this city, um, we are, you know, we'll, we'll never make the right decisions. You, you mentioned earlier about the fact that there's certain parts of town where things are happening, you know, 
So mm-hmm. would you like to see kind of a concerted effort to address climate change and, in a sense, help affordable housing happen throughout the entire city, not just specific neighborhoods that at the moment can afford that? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ideas that's out there is called the 15-minute city. Um, it's the idea that everyone would have um, would be able to walk to school, or I'm sorry, would be able to get to school, their job, and grocery store, all of their basic needs within 15 minutes by walking, by bicycling, or by taking public transportation. And I think if we just took that one idea um, and had that as central to how we approach all of our neighborhoods, that would, uh, has the the potential to um, make tremendous improvement in a lot of the neighborhoods. The 15 minute city idea sounds like what Rodriguez, our, for, our former a prior guest was talking about it back in the day, the old Nashville, you could get the places in 15 minutes. Now, not so much. But Maxine, tell me, what potential solutions would you like to see the next mayor take to address housing and climate issues? Ooh. Well, first around housing, I would like to see a mayor. First of all, I would like to see a mayor that is principled and is willing to take to take more so political risks and is willing to really have the political will to do something that is different. And so, for example, I my mind goes back into um, how people were kind of coping um, during the height of the pandemic and thinking about there was a call for rent freezes, you know, for rent caps, you know, and I'm thinking and I've been thinking for a while that, you know, it would be great if that if communities could also have their own structured um, community driven solutions to cap and enforce what and say what the market rate rent should be for their communities. You know, for different parts of town, um, that they should be able to say what is going on and that a mayor should be able to kind of give give voice and give power to that and say that that if that's what the people want, that's what this community wants, then that's what they should move forward with doing. You know, we talked a lot about transportation in mm-hmm. the previous segment. Denise, is there an approach to transportation that the city hasn't considered that you think could help? I think there are lots of approaches that they haven't considered. Um, well, and, you know, forgive me, um, the the latest referendum, um, I'm kind of fuzzy on, on, on that, I guess, um, and remembering exactly what that was. But I think that, you know, one thing that we really need to think more seriously about is just um, walking and biking as modes of transportation. And what we've seen over the past few years with biking, for instance, is that we've added a lot of bike lanes, but you can tell that they're just checking it off the list. Because, um, for instance, I drive down Hillsborough Road every day, um, south of Green Hills, and they added a bike lane there probably within the past two years. It's essentially on the berm, and people drive 50, 60 miles per hour on that road. I've seen two people ever biking on that road. So is there a bike lane? Yes. But is that bike lane actually functioning as a safe bike lane? No, it's definitely not. I would never, I would never take that lane. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about what you want from our next mayor. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville, and remember, the deadline to register to vote is on July the 5th. Now, the battle between city government and the state has been in the headlines. We kicked off the show with the latest lawsuit about mm-hmm. that. 
Maxine, what do you want to see the next mayor? How do you want to see the next mayor approach the state? I want to see the next mayor. I, I want to see a mayor that can kind of hold what feels like a kind of contradictory position. I want Explain a mayor, that. and one in which that you could still be diplomatic and could still have still open and have these kind of try to have these nice relations, but also still remain principled and start out from a principled stance and maintain that. So, for example, if a mayor comes up with some really creative new ordinance, for example, that addresses um, issues around housing, you know, or around developments, you know, um, that and feels and feels afraid that there might be some pushback from the state to kind of stand a little bit firmer on that. I think that for where we are, yes, that there are definitely it's it's rolling up a waterfall, mm. rolling up a waterfall for sure. But I think we as a people are worth it, you know, worth trying to go up that waterfall. And I think if we continuously force ourselves to kind of capitulate when we see the waterfall before we even start, then we don't really get anywhere and we just kind of get into worse position. Well, tell me, where would you like to have seen, where would you have liked to have seen previous mayors step up in that regard? Well, I'm thinking back to, if we're thinking about just like, just right off the top of my head around some of the anti-trans laws, I would like to see to like to have seen this current administration stand out on a very, very firm stance, um, really affirming um, the validity, the sanctity and humanity of trans people throughout the every stage of life, throughout every stage of being, and to have started their own sort of internal campaign, um, really focusing on what sort of issues that they could start championing within the community and trying to be led by the community and not really make any sort of like photo ops or photo opportunities until they have a strong commitment. It's like, I know I want to commit to this that the community approves of this, that I commit to this, this is the state is attacking part of part of our community, part of my constituents, and I'm not going to stand for it. And so I'm going to remain principled on the stance, and I'm going to follow the community lead and going to stick to this. Now, Denise, real quick, I want to get, get your thoughts on that. Do you think that the what Maxine says about mayoral, mayors capitulating a little bit to the state, do you think that that sets a dangerous precedent for what future mayors are going to be able to do in relation to the state? Yes and no. I mean, obviously, it does set a precedent. Um, but I think the right mayor coming in who, um, you know, ideally somebody who has some experience working with the state um, and knows sort of how to navigate and not get on their radar, quite frankly, um, could be successful in, in kind of easing the tension that we have right now. You're talking about the right mayor coming in to handle some of these things. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what does your ideal candidate look like? What are they about? So my ideal candidate is somebody who is coming in and genuinely has a heart for the people of Nashville, for all the people of Nashville. Um, somebody who is not, you know, using the mayor's office as a stepping stone to another position. Um, or doing it for their own glory in any way. Somebody who wants to get out into the community and truly sit with people and listen to their voices and understand um, what issues they're facing, not just looking at the data, you know. Um, and then, of course, somebody who cares about climate justice. I think we, um, you know, we've had a lot of mayors who, we've had several several mayors who have, 
talked about climate justice and climate change and have made small steps, but not the kind of very accelerated, um, bold changes that we need to happen in order to save us and our city and give us a future. Mm -hmm. Maxine, what about your ideal candidate? I think the the first word I'm going to say is I've said a, a couple times principled mm -hmm. and I want a mayor that is principled that is willing to fight need be on the basis of what they understand what the people truly want, not on political calculations of what we can say the people want, but hearing directly from people from all the different groups, from all the different communities that occupy occupy this area that this is what people are wanting and that you're going to stand for it and you're going to maintain it as much as possible. Another example for the question you asked earlier, I was thinking back to the COB. You know, what would also, have, so many people fought for so long. The Community to, Oversight Board. Yes, the Community Oversight Board. So many people fought for so long to get that board into existence. Even this, the current mayor, if I remember when he was a council mem member, if I remember correctly, did not vote for it. However, that was the will of the people. The people wanted that body in place. And as the state has tried to come for the come for the organization, where's the mayor's office now? Where is it? If you're going to say that you are the mayor of Nashville, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country, that you are listening to the voice of the people, why are you not standing for it? Why are you not standing for the COB? We should hear you everywhere. You should be at every meeting. You should be at everything related to, C to COB um, and basically affirming the right of the organization to exist. And so... I want someone that's going to take, to, that's going to have the political will to stand up and do something like that. Now, Denise, I only have a few seconds left, but tell me, what do you want your fellow voters to keep in mind as we get closer to Election Day? That everyone in the city matters and we all should have a voice. That was Denise Bayhill from Forest Hill. She was joined by Maxine Spencer from Nashville. Thanks to you both for being on the show today. Truly appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. And thank to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Geigos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Rosa Ponce and Diana Morales. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lekalona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other. And don't forget, registration day ends on July 5th. <laughs>